You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can turn in your Bibles if you want to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is, is a passage where Paul describes communion, what it is. In this passage, it's a, it's a pretty big chapter. He goes to talk about the abuses of communion and says, here's what it's supposed to be. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, if you're there, it says this. It says, For I received from what the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This is the cup of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cl- cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, and then the, the, verse 27 is kind of the warning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats the cup without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Let's pray this morning. God, we do thank you for communion. God, we don't take it lightly. We, we do hold this scripture to be true, that, that we need to examine ourselves and know that it is, it is a celebration of, of your sacrifice, your death on the cross that gives us life, just like the food that we eat gives us life for the day. And so, God, we praise you. We, we thank you. We, we welcome you here to teach us about the Holy Communion. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about communion today. And uh, as a kid, I remember back, take first communion. It counted for whatever it was worth. And I just remember being a very serious, solemn thing. And I still look back to that day and think, that was, that was a good day. I, I knew what it meant. I took communion. And, and it was a, a holy day. And, and they, Catholics do use real wine uh, for communion, I've, I've never ever heard of a, a Catholic church not using wine for communion. Maybe maybe some traditions do, uh, but I've never heard of it. I, I, I think they would consider it blasphemy or something to, to use something other than wine. And, and so fast forward from the little communion days, I was probably in middle school now. Um, I remember going to an all-day Catholic retreat which was pretty fun, actually. We, there was mass in the morning. We played games, and we had teachings. It was a pretty cool day. But the beginning of the day, in the morning, um, we, we were all together, and I, I sat on a row of all, all guys, and we were joking around about something. And, and, and it was communion time, and one of the kids was like, let's get drunk, let's get wasted, because it's real wine. And I was like, you're so dumb. But, but, and I, so I didn't do, want to do what they did but they two of them got up and and you could tell that they drank a lot from the cup of wine when they went through communion they were like thumbs up in each other and then they actually got back in line and went again a second time for communion and so they had like two big sips of wine so they were totally wasted um they weren't but they you know they're pretending like they're drunk they're like oh i'm so drunk right now can't even walk and then like after communion we played this like dodgeball game and they were like oh i'm so wasted right now and and then after that so they were they were treating communion like this i found this picture online Thought you'd get a kick out of that. 
I'm not sure if that's a real church thing or not, but I, found, I saw it online. I thought it would be funny for this story because these kids, these kids were t- trying to get drunk off the communion wine. I, I don't think they were, but they pretended like they were. And then right after, after communion we, at this Catholic retreat, we played some games, and then we went in for this teaching. And the teaching, I think the teacher must have knew that these kids had done that, maybe saw them thumbs-upping each other. Uh, teachers usually know more than the kids think that they know. But the teacher started to teach off of this verse, the very verse that we read today. And I just remember the kids going from like laughing and pretending like they were drunk to like dead faces like, oh gosh, we are in so much trouble right now. Because therefore, whoever drinks, eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be sinning against the body and blood uh, of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself um, before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who drinks, uh, eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And so I just remember those kids like, oh gosh, we are going to hell, both of us. And I was so glad that I didn't do what they did that day by going around twice and gulping the communion wine and pretending like they were drunk because of the judgment that the teacher taught about. I just thought it was interesting. I think she had, looking back, I think she had to have known what was going, because she like specifically read that and taught that passage for like 45 minutes. And the kids were just like, oh gosh. Um, But anyways, we are talking about sacraments and symbols all this month uh, in the Mill Sunday School. Uh, There's only next week, there'll be no Mill Sunday School. Did you know that? Why not fall retreat? We're going to fall retreat. So as far as announcements go, next week, put it on your schedule to go to the Mill Fall Retreat. And if you don't go to the Mill Fall Retreat, then you can't come to Sunday school because we will all be at the Mill Fall Retreat. We leave on Friday night. If you want more information, if you want to register, if you look outside, there's a white banner. It says life. You could register there, pay there, and make sure you're going because fall retreat's pretty sweet. How many of you are going? Yes, lots of hands. Cool. Sweet. So that's, that's the announcements. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there are cards on the table. It says, get schooled. And then some, some uh, I think it says on there, first-timer card somewhere. Maybe it doesn't. But it, it is a first-timer card. And if you fill it out, bring it to the nice people in the back as you leave at that booth back there. They'll give you a CD from the Mill. The, the Mill is our main meeting, by the way, on Friday nights. If you're new, maybe you haven't been to our Friday night meeting, but that's more of our service. And uh, the CD has some worship songs from a Friday night that we recorded and so you could check that out so those are your announcements pretty easy right fall retreat next week if you're not going you should go anyways let's continue talking about communion this is the scene of the last supper who painted this da vinci of course uh it's it's his famous painting of the last supper jesus in the middle the 12 disciples and uh, i thought we should read uh the that that story i'm going to read from luke Luke chapter 22, this is the story of that night and, and the last supper that Jesus took. It says, it says this, Luke 22, verse 13, they left and found these things. So uh, Jesus just said, so the disciples were like, we need to make preparations for the, the Passover meal, the, the meal that the, the Jewish people celebrate. We'll talk about that in a second. And Jesus said, oh, you'll go to a certain house and you'll see a man and he'll, he'll give you a place where we are going to take this Passover meal and this feast. And so verse 13 says, uh, they left and they found the things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink of it again, uh, of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So that's the story. That's the Jesus at this table reclining leaning back and, and relaxing, having fellowship and community, and he's celebrating a Passover meal. And I have a, a, this note, the Last Supper was Pesach. Everybody say Pesach. Yeah, you kind of got at the end because it's a Hebrew word and they have that, that guttural sound, Pesach. So the, the Pesach, we call it Passover. Uh, that's, what, that's what it means. And the Passover is a celebration where God spared the Israelites, freeing them from Egyptian slavery. Maybe you remember the story in Exodus. The uh, Israelites are all slaves in Egypt, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, no. And so there's plagues, and Moses comes back and says, let my people go. And then there's like a grasshopper plague. He says, no. And then let my people go, and there's a like water's all turned into blood. And, and, and the last plague is where Israelites are told to have this dinner, uh, sacrifice a lamb, smear the blood of the lamb on the door, and, and, and celebrate the, the meal. You're supposed to eat uh, bread that's unleavened because you're going to need to leave quickly. And so symbolizing that you're not going to have time to let the bread rise. And so specific uh, things of how you're to celebrate this Passover meal and then the, the blood on the door <clears throat> at, uh, of your house symbolized that you were a righteous and believer. And so an angel of the Lord actually passed over uh, Egypt killing all of the firstborn. And so still to this day, the Jew- Jewish nation, Jewish people, they celebrate the meal, the Passover meal, and remember that God freed them from slavery and passed over their house, sparing their firstborn children and animals. And so what I want to say is that Jesus was celebrating this Passover meal. And I, I imagine that all the disciples from the time that they were little had celebrated the Passover meal every single year in the way that it was supposed to go. And so they did things. They, they sacrificed the, the lamb the way it was supposed to be. And they, 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 there's, there's things, the traditions that they would do. And when Jesus celebrates the Passover, he changes some of those things. Instead of just lifting the cup and, and blessing the, the wine, he says, drink it, this is my blood. He changed the Passover meal. And so this next piece of note here is the way was changed. And if you've ever done something out of tradition, uh, just the same way every single time, and then it suddenly is changed, you just like, you take a step back and like, why is it being changed? What is going on? And so to illustrate this, I have, I used to work, my very first job was Pizza Hut. Do you see me? It's a little dark of a picture, but that is me like, 15 years ago when I was, I think I was like 16 or 17, uh, working at Pizza Hut. My first, I worked with a bunch of jokers, as you could tell. They're just making funny, that's a football being thrown because we used to play football in the store while making pizzas. It was pretty ridiculous. But uh, I was, I was a cook and I made the pizzas 
And every time you'd close the store, you would, you would clean up in a certain way. And you had to clean up in that way because the next morning uh, the dough would be made and, and people didn't want to have to clean up the mess or didn't want to have to go look for the utensils and things. Like you had everything had its place. You had to clean up in a certain way. And I remember uh, I worked there maybe a half of a year, six months, and then we got a new manager. And the new manager changed everything about the way, the traditions that we had of cleaning the store. And we like before we clean from like big, you know, get, get the big areas clean to like the small things and the utensils. But the manager changed it. No, you're going to clean from the top down, which actually made more sense because if cleaning the bigger things, sometimes you like be cleaning a spoon and then you drop some stuff in the area you already cleaned. Not cool. So he changed the way in which we it was almost the tradition of cleaning and, and do, everything had its place in order uh, when we cleaned the store. And by changing some of those things, it just made us think, like, who is this guy? And, and how, how, what authority does he have to change this? And are the things that he's changing actually better? And so going back to the point here that Jesus was taking a pa- the Passover meal and changing the things. And instead of uh, just pr- praying blessings over the bread, he was saying, take this and eat it. It's my body. And, and, and not just praying over the wine and blessing and thanking God for the wine, but saying, drink it, it's my blood. He was changing the way in which the Passover was supposed to be celebrated. He, he was changing it. And he obviously had authority to do so. And so I just thought, as, as we're talking about communion today, that, that, that idea of, of doing it in remembrance of him, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24 says, you know, 20, the verse 24 ends with, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. Those are the words of Jesus. He says, celebrate this Passover meal, but change it in such a way that, 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 you're, that you're worshiping Jesus and, and thanking him for the sacrifice of his body and blood that, that, was, that was offered up as a sacrifice for our sins. And so I have a discussion question for you. Hopefully it'll be a fun discussion question. Um, but at your, at your tables, you turn, turn to some people around you. If you're at a small table, you could join a big table. If you're a big table, look for little, little tables and say, join us. We're fun. Um, because it, hopefully it's a fun question. And uh, I've heard about this. I've never, I looked for it in the news and like, it's like, has this ever happened? But I can't, maybe it's just an urban legend or something. But I've heard of youth pastors, youth leaders celebrating communion uh, offering communion with pizza and Coke. Have you heard of that before? Like a, just like a, as an illustration for so whatever reason, a, a youth leader's like, let's, I, I imagine they're like holding up the slice of pizza and breaking it in half or something. And then I don't know exactly how it would go. But uh, so the question is for discussion, would it be okay for a youth leader to administer communion with pizza and Coke? Like question be like, would you be offended uh, would you, if you were the youth leader, or if you, or if you were the maybe some sort of authority over that youth leader, would you say, "Dude, why did you do that?" Or would you high five him? Or would you ask him questions? What questions would you ask him? The question is, would it be okay for a youth leader to administer communion with pizza and Coke? Ready, get set, discuss. How many of you, if you had to vote, uh, how many of you would say uh, that it's, it may not be the best thing to do, it may be silly, but it, it's, I guess it's okay. How many of you say, it's okay? How many of you would say, no way, it's not okay? 
All right, let's. Uh, I, there's a microphone. There's usually two, but uh, someone. Oh, there's two. Sweet. So get the attention of the microphone, dudes. And I would love to hear some debate and maybe um, uh, so, maybe point to a person in your group that was the most passionate, and then and then make them talk. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Is it on? I think Patrick's working on it. It's working. Okay. So I thought that it was a really good idea because if <laughs> if the message is the same of um, this is Christ's body, uh-huh. it's the same as having a message Bible that talks to another generation so they have the understanding and it opens up their eyes to it. So Whether it's example. perfect in tradition or not, it doesn't matter. It's all about the message being received. It's good. All right. Let's let's fire it up. Let's get let's all right. Stir it up. Veronica's okay. Go, yeah, I'm in the back first, and then and then give Veronica the mic. All right. So, is this on? Maybe. Okay. Um, so I guess I cheated and looked at the sweet quote of the day. Um, <laughs> but it says, "If it's only a symbol, then why not use peanut butter and jelly?" Because God Himself declared what symbols we are to use, and so Christ said, "This is my body broken for you." He used bread. He said, "This is my blood shed for you." He used wine. So I think that the symbols He used are the things we should stick with. So use the symbols. Jesus used bread and wine. Use bread and wine. Yes. Sweet. It's good. All right. Any more? Any more? Veronica looks like she was passionate during the debate. Here we go. Okay. Um, well, I would like to first bring my attention to bring everyone's attention to one of the things that uh, Bill said. He said it was important about the message received, and I think he's right in that the message received is very important. But the message received would probably not be anywhere near the same as the message intended to be sent by the pastor. By the, the pastor's intention would be for the pizza and the Coke to be representative of the body and blood of Christ. However, okay, we're not that far from being in high school, any of us. I mean, some <laughs> a little bit more than others. But um, just think about, if you were in high school a few years ago, and you were told, hey, we're having pizza and Coke. Oh, but it's communion. Would you really think of it as communion, or would you just think of it as a pizza party? We're having pizza and Coke. It's, it shows a lack of respect for what the body and blood of Christ is. Um, because the body and blood of Christ is it's holy. Um, I'm not saying we should be worshiping communion or anything, but we should respect it. And there is a level of reverence due to it, because it is Christ's body and blood. And so... Substituting it with pizza and Coke, something that is party items and um, (laughs) everyday common, everyone will have it. It's just, I don't know. I'm kind of offended by that. It's just not right. (laughs) Don't do it. Thank you, Veronica, for sharing your passion. Yes, a hand over here. No, uh, Ellen in the back and then over here. Um, I can see both points of view. I think that... A lot of it depends on the mentality. Comes down to what, sorry? What's that? A lot of it depends on the mentality. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, of how you take it. Um, as Matt pointed out, then back then, bread and wine were the most popular things to eat. So who's to say that if we had pizza and Coke back then, maybe so, Jesus so would have used that today, instead. If Jesus came today, he might but, administer it with but, <laughs> but I think that... Here we go! That it's important that 
to see that people that are taking it, I mean, if someone gave it to me, I, I don't think I would be able to take it with the reverence that it was meant to have. Um, and I think that's really what's really important about it. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think the mic's over here, and then, and then maybe Joel will be the last commenter. That's what you're going to say? Like, you're contextualizing if, if bread and, and wine were the, the things that people ate at the time. That Well, we don't eat just bread and wine. Uh, we, we would, our common food would be pizza and Coke, maybe. Yeah. Yes, Joel, the last okay. word. <clears throat> so uh, we're talking about it being like a very common thing that they were eating, bread and wine, which is true. That said, it was within a context that was very, very... Um, specific and very much already a memorial. Um, the Passover context that communion was done in was a remembrance of the deliverance of the Jewish people from slavery to Egypt. And what Jesus was commanding us to do is to remember his body and his blood as the deliverance from sin that we get through that, through him. And so while they were common elements, they were within a very specific and very memorialized um, setting. And so I have not ever seen anyone take anything seriously with pizza and Coke. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, nobody has ever taken pizza and Coke seriously. And then to add insult to injury, if you really wanted to go there, we could say most people get pepperoni pizza, and that's pork. So you're honoring, <laughs> honoring a Jewish. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's kind of <laughs> jacked up. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. And by so, the way, Joel, Joel leads a, when's your group, Joel? That you I have a, a small group on Tuesday nights. Yeah, it's a small group, and, and Joel, the, the idea of the group is to talk about Jewish traditions and the Christian faith, so if you want to know more about that, Joel is kind of an expert in that area. You could talk to him, come to a small group. It's pretty cool. So, um, speaking of communion, so here, I was going to wrap up with some ideas here. The, the, I was going to draw our attention to the quote by R.C. Sparol. That, and he said, if it is only a symbol, then why not use peanut butter and jelly? And you'd say, oh, that's ridiculous. And R.C. Searle continues that idea with God himself declared what the symbols are to be used. So you need to use them. And so the one idea is, uh, why minister the communion with another element? If Obviously, if you were in some authority over this youth leader that said, okay, this is Christ's body. And he split a part of piece of pizza and, and handed it out. And then he said, this is Christ's blood. And then like popped open the coke or something i don't know um <clears throat> why are you doing that you you why are you doing that are, are you just purposely being irreverent or are you trying to uh contextualize the thing it, it, these two questions should probably be asked so whether you're we had some debate in here as to whether that would be okay or not or totally horrible to or not i think you the reasoning behind taking the, the communion elements and changing them from bread to anything else or from wine to anything else should be thought, well, why are you doing that when, when Jesus actually did use these things? And, and we'll talk about the question of, you know, if, if Jesus, if, if our church, New Life Church, if you've ever had communion here, you know that we usually take it with grape juice and not wine. What gives us the authority? You know, if you're going to change it to grape juice, well, then why not Coke? Why not some other thing? We'll, we'll talk about that specific issue in just a second. But I think it, the, the bigger picture we need to talk about is the three views of communion. And maybe this will just help us to understand where some people are coming from. And maybe if they've come from a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, or if they've been uh, uh, around a non-denominational church, 
uh, their whole life, the, the, at least our ideas of what communion is, uh, can, at least we'll know where we're coming from. So these are three big words, and uh, you can handle big words, right? You're the Mill Sunday School. Say, yes, we can. Yeah, we can ha- you can handle it. Yeah, the big words. And by, by the way, big words are fun to use. Girls love big words. So guys, if you learn big words, you can impress girls. So here's the first big word. Uh, transubstantiation. Say it. Transubstantiation. It's a big word. Uh, trans in the Latin means uh, like to, to change into or move to across, like the, the word transformers. Um, and, and so I'll talk about what this word means in a second, as, but it, it's basically going to mean that the body and blood of Jesus, are, the bread and the wine actually turn into the body and blood of Jesus. Talk about that in a second. The next word is consubstantiation, uh, the, the Latin word uh, with. It's that the Jesus' bl- blood and um, body are with the elements of bread and wine. And then finally, uh, this would be the view that we as, as Protestant evangelical new lifers would probably hold to the most as, as the, 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 the elements of wine and bread or juice and bread. It's a, it's a memorial. It's a um, symbol. But I'll talk more in depth about these three in just a second. But it comes down to this idea of, uh, it comes back to the question of literal versus, versus figurative. And remember, we talked about that just a couple weeks ago when we talked about hell. Is anybody here when we talked about that? Cause, because you, know, like you start teaching about hell, the first question you ask is, oh, do you believe in a literal hell or a figurative hell? Do you believe in literal fire or figurative fire? And, and our culture is just kind of consumed with this idea of like literal or actual. In fact, we use the word literal literally all the time. We're literally using the word literal and if I hear it one more time, my head is literally going to explode. <laughs> Not literally. And so <laughs> this has become funnier and funnier to me. Like since that hell talk, like people kind of know me as the literal figurative guy. Like I think everything about that's funny. And so I've been correcting. What I think is funny is to correct people when they say so, or just to add the word. Oh, he means figuratively. <laughs> just to like, like <laughs> I don't know. It's really funny. Um, this is probably showing my immaturity, but the other day <laughs> someone was like, Hey, before you go into that meeting, can I grab you real quick so we could talk? And I was like, if you mean figuratively, then yes. <laughs> and they just looked at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty immature. And then, uh, and then this week someone was like, I sent an email to this guy, and then he came into my office and was like, hey, let's touch base about that email. <laughs> and I was like, listen, I, I don't want you touching my base. <laughs> it was so ridiculously funny. It was like, if you mean figuratively, then we can do that, but not literally. Anyways, so the, the figurative, literal, uh, <laughs> just making a mess of the Mill Sunday School with my immaturity. I apologize. But it, it does have something to do with maybe this verse, because the, the whole transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and memorial views of how communion is to be taken um, may come from this verse, and may just have this idea of, like, how literal do you mean, how figurative do you mean when you take the bread and, and the, the, the cup? Is it real drink? Is it real food? Uh, and so Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, he just got done talking about, I am the bread of life uh, in John chapter 6. At the very end of that chapter, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 55, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And some denominations have taken this as, oh, it's real. It's, it's literal in some way. And so we need to take these elements, the bread and the wine, as real food, real drink. Um, and, and so th- that's how some denominations, some, the Catholic Church in particular, takes this verse very, they take it with a lot of importance and say, look, here, Jesus is actually saying it's real food, it's real drink. And the word here in Greek, uh, because the, the gospel wasn't originally written in English, the, the, the Greek word for real is alethes. Does anyone know that word? It means truth. Uh, so my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And, and, and so it doesn't really have this context of being like literal. It's just like real or, or, or true. Um, just like in the same way, and uh, is it John chapter 9, that Jesus says, I am the true vine. And that's the same word, the same Greek word there. But no one says, oh, Jesus is literally a vine growing. It's like, no. But, but this verse um, does have some context and questions about, is his food and drink is the food, the blood and the flesh, is it real food and is it, is it actual? And, and the people that would say, yes, it is, they would hold to this view of transubstantiation. It's the Catholic doctrine. It's, the, it's a big word. That means, it has this context of meaning that Jesus becomes present under the appearance of the bread and the wine. And so people have tried in our modern day um, world we've tried to explain this this is uh, uh, this this doctrine came about in the middle ages although there's probably hints of it in the early church um and that it evolved into the doctrine that that the catholic church now ascribes to called transubstantiation but it's this idea that okay as soon as the priest holds it up and says for this is my body this is my blood do this in remembrance of me then something happens to that bread and to that wine where it actually becomes um, Christ's body and, and blood. And so it, it stays the same. It looks the same. It smells the same. But something about it in, in substance, and so that's, that's the word, transubstantiation, the word substance is in that word. So the substance is actually changed into Christ's actual body and actual blood. Even though it doesn't look any different or nothing about the molecules have changed, it... it just like a, you know, like a human being is 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 just a, a bunch of chemicals, like organic chemicals, right? I mean, if you think about it, like all we are is carbon atoms and oxygen atoms and uh, nitrous atoms uh, mixed together to do what we do, right? But we would say that there's a big difference between a pile of chemicals and a human life, and so something about us is different than the pile of chemicals. And so in the same way, like, and I don't, I don't know if that helps. I just saw that on one Catholic website, they were trying to explain it and they kind of used that and it started to make sense to me, but then didn't. Um, so maybe it kind of starts to make sense to you, but then not. Um, but, but I'll put up this sentence. Jesus is truly, really substantively, if that's even a word, contained in the elements. And so when it's prayed over and held up in a Catholic service and the bread is broken, the, the cup is raised, that it change, changes truly and really and substantively 
into Jesus' body and blood. And a note, note the words literal and physical are not a part of the doctrine, uh, just the words truly and, and really and sub, in substance. The, the, the elements are changed even though they don't look any different. Um, and so this, this is a picture of a, a Catholic priest holding it up um, and, and blessing it and saying, um, for this is my body. And it's, like, it's at that moment that the bread turns into Jesus' body, uh, really and substantively. And which leads to an interesting thing that happened in the Middle Ages. And, and that is, uh, here's a picture of a medieval house and a, and a farm. And so imagine yourself in the Middle Ages, um, no TV no cell phones, uh, no Bibles, because Bibles were too expensive. You didn't have one to do your daily Devo. Uh, and you went to church, and when you went to church, the church service, there, there wasn't any like denominations in the Middle Ages. It was just like the church was the church, and it didn't yet break apart. And there wasn't The Protestant Reformation hadn't happened yet. And so it's not like, oh, I'll go to the Baptist church today. No, the Baptists went around. It was just one. It was a universal church. It's, it's now called the Holy Roman Catholic Church, but it was just the church back then, and uh, up until the 60s, uh, the, the 1960s, like our parents' 60s, just uh, you know, years ago, um, every single Catholic service was uh, done in a certain language. Does anyone know? Latin. The, the, they, they thought that was the holy language. Um, and, and so every Catholic service was held in Latin. And so if you're in the Middle Ages, and let's say you're in Germany, then you spoke some uh, medieval German, You'd go to a Catholic church service, and would you be able to understand anything? No, you just sit there quietly and watch. And like, oh, we're supposed to stand now. And it's like, oh, we're supposed to sit now. And you'd have some idea of what was going on, obviously, because you went to church every week, and you heard the same phrases, and maybe you learned and picked up some things. But this phrase up at the top, um, hoc es corpus meum, uh, it means for this is uh, body belonging to me, for this is my body. And it's those words that were said, the priest would hold up the bread and say, hoc es corpus meum, and he'd break it. And that's the moment that it changed into Christ's actual uh, substantive body um, right there. And so it's like, oh, that's Christ's body now. And so th- this, this idea, um, uh, hoc es corpus meum, does it sound like a magic word to you? The, the word hocus pocus. And so th- that is actually... That, that phrase is actually where we get the word, uh, its etymology. Hocus pocus comes from the, the, the saying in Latin, for this is my body. Because at that moment, when, when the, the bread was broken, hocus corpus meum, and, and then people would say, oh, now it's, the, it's actually the, the body of Jesus now. And in the Middle Ages, without a Bible, lots of superstition, uh, the, the church service, you couldn't really understand what was going on because it was all in Latin. And because of the superstition, there's, there's lots of um, examples of this in the Middle Ages of people going up to the front to receive the bread and then like putting it in their pocket, taking it home and, and putting it like on a little, you know, some sort of uh, plaque or some sort of like archway or something, uh, a special place in your home. And it's like, oh, we actually substantively have Christ living in our home because the body, uh, the, the bread had been changed to the actual body of Christ. And, and so that's um, this idea that it kind of lends itself towards some somewhat superstition that, um, that, that somehow the, the body and blood of Jesus are substantively there with these elements. Interesting stuff, don't you think? 
Okay, so that's that's the view of transubstantiation. The next view is consubstantiation. Con, if you're taking down notes, uh, means with. And so the the body and blood of Jesus are with the substances of the bread and the wine. And uh, one of the proponents of this um, kind of thought, a reformer to the Catholic Church, this guy, anybody? Yeah, it's our homeboy, Martin Luther again. Um, and he he reformed the church. He protested the church. He's called a reformer. He's called a Protestant. Uh, he protested the universal church at the time, the Catholic church. And out of his movement and others like him, denominations like Lutheran uh, churches and uh, the, the Church of England and the Presbyterian, we all, and we as Protestants, we come out of the protests that happened in the 1500s to the Catholic Church. And so this homeboy with a cool hat on, Martin Luther, uh, his, and especially followers of Luther, developed the, the idea, the doctrine of consubstantiation, which still treats the, the bread and the wine as, as holy elements because with them, uh, next to them, not inside of them, all around them is Christ's presence. Is actually Christ is present. Here, I'll put up the sentence that has been written. Uh, the bread and the wine are ch- unchanged elements, but Christ's presence, by faith, of course, is made spiritually real in and through them. So the, the, the elements themselves are not actually changed, like transubstantiation, but they're, 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 it's a holy thing. It's a holy uh, piece of bread now because it's been prayed over, and by faith, um, they are. It's, it's the spiritual presence of Christ is actually there. It's real. And so, one more sentence. The sacramental union of body and blood are alongside of the elements. And, and some Protestants hold to this view. I think Lutherans still to this day would say they believe in consubstantiation. So the, the Christ body, it's, it's not just bread and wine. It's actually holy because Christ's presence is with it. It's all around it. It's prayed over by faith. Christ is actually there. Whereas we as Protestant modern evangelicals would probably be more along the line of this last one, which is a memorial. And we would say that there's nothing in and of themselves holy about the bread and wine. It's just like any other bread and wine, but it's special to us because it's a symbol of of the bread and the wine that Jesus gave to his disciples saying, do this in remembrance of me. So the bread and wine are unchanged, totally unchanged elements used as symbols representing Christ's body and blood in remembrance of his enduring sacrifice. And so the words, if you're writing down that sentence, the, the words, uh, I, I uh, italicize them in the next sentence here. We are remembering Christ's death uh, with the symbols of the bread and the wine. And so here's where we'll talk just for just a moment about juice being used. It's like because we as Protestants um, believe that it is, it is a memorial, it's a, that, that these are just symbols, the bread and the wine are, are just symbols and they're not in and of themselves holy, or there's nothing substantively about them that is holy, then therefore um, we can use the symbol of juice instead of wine so that uh, maybe we don't allow someone to stumble in the ways of alcohol or alcohol. I just imagine like if someone is struggling with alcohol and they're going to AA meetings and you know they, they say at the meeting, you know, I've, I've, it's been so long since I've been sober. It's been eight months, 16 days. 
uh, since I've been sober. And then they go to church, and they go to a church where wine is being served. That could potentially, to an addict, be a stumbling block. That they just had a sip of alcohol, they smell it, and they just drink it, and I don't know. So that's, I mean, that's the tradition that we are, as non-denominationals, we have taken the liberty of saying, because it's a symbol, let's use the symbol of juice instead of wine, um, just because we don't want to cause anyone to stumble. But that is actually where this quote comes in, because R.C. Sproul, who is more uh, presbyt- comes from a Presbyterian background, holding to something that we'll talk about in just a second called the Westminster Confession, he, this quote on the back of the skillet is actually in reference to wine and, and juice being used. R.C. Sproul would say, don't use juice. Don't use it because Jesus didn't use it. And, and then his quote, if it's only a symbol, then why not use peanut butter and jelly? God himself declared what the symbols are that we should use. Therefore, don't use juice. It's just as silly as using peanut butter and jelly um, to him because Christ did it with uh, the bread and the wine. Therefore, we should do it with the bread and the wine. Um, but but R.C. Sproul would probably lean more towards consubstantiation in some ways because he's he's holding the elements in and of themselves as holy, whereas we as non-denominationals would truly just look at the elements and say they're symbols. And and so here's this this Westminster Confession. Uh, here's a picture of of it, I guess. Uh, some people debating and talking. It was in. Uh, 16, um, let's see, 1646 in England, the Westminster Confession was held. Uh, it was a group of people meeting to say, here's what we believe. And you, you can note that it's only about 100 years after Luther's um, nailing the 95 Theses on the, the, the door of Wittenberg Chapel, starting the Reformation, the reforming of the Catholic Church and the protesting of the Catholic Church. So all these protesters and reformers are now wanting to say, okay, here's what we truly believe. And so they came together they uh, reformed. Uh, this is a reformed confession of faith. Maybe you've heard that word, reformed. Maybe you've heard the word uh, Calvinism. Stemming this, this confession stemming from some of the teachings of John Calvin. Uh, people got together and said, here's what we believe. And this confession is still held today by uh, the Presbyterian Church, the Church of England, and some Baptist traditions would say, we hold to the Westminster Confession. And in there, there's a line about communion. It says this, it's, it's a little confusing. So in chapter 29, there's 29 of 33 chapters. Uh, chapters are very short. But this is the statement about communion in the Westminster Confession. And it says that the doctrine which maintains, so this, the doctrine is transubstantiation. That doctrine, talking about the Catholic doctrine, which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by the consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant, not to Scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason, overthroweth the nature of the sacrament, and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatries. So they're pretty mad at the the doctrine of transubstantiation. They don't like it. (coughs) And we, as Protestant, modern evangelicals kind of come from this line of thinking as, as we have protested and reformed our beliefs from a Catholic belief that, that it actually changes. We would say it's, it's merely a symbol. And so therefore, c- communion is for remembrance and for a, a reality now. 
that, that, we, that when we do celebrate communion, we're not just remembering what Christ did, but we're, there's something real and present about it by faith. Not that we would say, oh, Christ is actually here because we've, we've blessed this piece of bread and this, this cup. But Christ is actually present because we believe that he is present and we are remembering him. And, and there's something about the reality now of confession and, um, and receiving the elements, especially in a group together. And, um, and so, in fact, next week at the Millfall Retreat, as, as it is one of our, I guess, traditions at the Millfall Retreat on Saturday morning, we, there will there, be a time of communion where at the, it's kind of like the closing of the retreat. We will remember Christ's death and we will celebrate it with uh, p- passing around the cup and and the bread and eating those together and remembering what he did for us on the cross. And so for to conclude, it's for remembrance and a reality now. And I, I just want to uh, close reminding us of, of the story of uh, the road to Emmaus, which is this very interesting story. Here's a painting of it. It's a, This is a pretty famous painting by Caravaggio. There's Jesus in the center with his his hand up and the people around him and uh jesus has just broken the bread and and, and he said um uh well, i guess i don't know what he says i'll read the story in just a second but it, he disappears from these people it's the story falls right at the very end of the book of luke if you've read the story before it's i remember the first time i read it i was like man that's a cool story but it's right after jesus dies it's after the tomb is found empty and there's these two dudes uh believers in jesus uh, walking uh, on a road to, to Emmaus. Emmaus, I guess, is a city near Jerusalem, uh, some like seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They're walking to this city, and this dude uh, comes up to them and says, hey, well, you know, why the long face? And they said, oh, haven't you been around? Haven't you heard that Jesus, this guy, taught that he was the Messiah, but he just died, and, um, and you know, he, he, he thought he was going to be the Messiah, but he's dead, so I guess not. Um, and, but it's actually Jesus who, who's there, and they, they don't know that it's Jesus. Um, and then the, the story is, is they, they go to the house of one of the dudes, and so Jesus is invited in, and they sit down, and they have a meal together, and it says this. Uh, uh, so this is Luke chapter 24, verse 30. Uh, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they were recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning inside of us while he was talking on the road? And when he opened the scripture to us. So it's just this really cool story of the resurrected Jesus appearing to these two dudes. And they didn't, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. And they, they have this long conversation. It's almost the whole chapter about, yeah, you know, Jesus, we thought he was going to be the Messiah, but he's dead. And then they, they invite him in for this meal. And it's at that moment that... that, that they, he breaks the bread, and they realize this is the resurrected Jesus. Here, here sits before us God himself, breaking this bread and giving it to us. And as soon as they realized it, it he, he like vanishes. It's a, so the text says he disappeared, which is just kind of a, a cool story. And then they say, it wasn't, you know, weren't our hearts burning inside of us? That, that, you know, didn't we know that it was Jesus, but we didn't understand? And I just think that that moment uh, of that communion service, you know, if you want to call it that, was just so um, awesome that they recognized Jesus as he broke the bread. And, and we can continue to do that and, and, and with, with reverence, but not, but not a, a worship of the elements, but with reverence, take 
the bread and the cup and, and, and celebrate his death because he died for us. And, and just by eating food, we need food to live. Just by eating spiritual food uh, of Jesus, we can spiritually live because of the sacrifice he made for us. So in that, let's, let's close in prayer. And God, we do thank you for, for the, the, the communion rite, the communion sacrament, that we can remember you, that we can take food and drink and, and put it into our bodies as this, as this literal representation of a, a figurative spiritual truth that you make us alive, that we need you to spiritually live, that through we were dead in our sins, but you have made us alive by your sacrifice. And so, God, we receive it. God, we, we learn from it this day that you, would, you might remind us of these truths the next time we take communion together. God, we do worship you. We praise you. We remember you on this day. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, you're dismissed. I won't see you next week if you don't go on the Milfar Treat. So go to the Milfar Treat, and we'll see you there. See you in two weeks here. Peace.